To build a life that works, we need to get back to God's plan for life. We must build our lives on God's instructions and His pillars of wisdom. This message is the third in the series, A Life That Works. The message is entitled, Healthy Ways to Handle Hurts, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9. As they're being seated, why don't we give a good warm welcome to all the folks at our Frederick campus, our universities at Shady Grove campus, and next weekend to our Clarksburg campus as well, which is going to be absolutely amazing as we move forward in God's call to us as a church family. Proverbs chapter 9, we're involved in a series of messages called A Life That Works, and I want to talk to us this weekend about healthy ways to handle hurts in your life, healthy ways to handle hurts in your life. Oftentimes, I'm asked the question, Pastor, how can I make my life work? My life doesn't seem to be working as I would like for it to work. My friendships aren't working. My marriage isn't working. My relationship with my kids not working. How do I get a life that really does work? And that's what this series is all about. To have a life that works means that we move out of dysfunction into function. And all of us have a little bit of dysfunction, don't we? Some of us a bit more than others. But our, life, our lives at times are not functioning as fully as God intended for them to function because we are yet to learn some of the things that we need to learn and apply in our lives as we walk with our Creator God who made us. And so Proverbs chapter 9 gives us a call to learn God's ways, to learn how to build your life around the ways of God, the wisdom of God, so that your life really does work. And let me read for you the verses here, verses 1 through 6, Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read from today's Living Bible. Wisdom has built a palace supported on seven pillars. So again, wisdom is identified or pictured here as a palace that has a support system of seven pillars. And has prepared, that is wisdom, has prepared a great banquet and mixed the wines and sent out her maidens, inviting all to come. She calls from the busiest intersections in the city. So again, wisdom is defined here or presented to us in an analogy of a palace built on seven pillars or seven truths. And then from this, it has a voice that is crying out to the people that are the busiest, come, stop, listen, come into the palace and learn wisdom. Notice verses 4 through 6. Come, you simple ones, without good judgment. Come to wisdom's banquet and drink the wines that I have mixed. Leave behind your foolishness and begin to live. Learn how to be wise. Please notice verse number 6. Leave behind your foolishness. That's a ways that are contrary to God or opposite of God's ways of living and begin to live as learn how to live life, learn how to make your life work, learn how to be wise. The Bible here teaches us that wise people build their lives on pillars, on the right foundation, just like every structure has a supporting system. If your life is going to be all that God wants it to be, there has to be a supporting system that holds it up, the principles of God, the truths of God. Last weekend, we talked about some of those principles. Weekend before last, we talked about the purpose of God for your life. And today, I want to talk to you about something else that you must learn to do if you're going to have a life that really does work. You must learn how to handle pain in your soul. How do you handle soul pain? How do you handle the hurts that will come to you in life? By the way, this message this weekend will be concluded next weekend. It's a two-part message in the entire series, so I hope you'll be back next weekend for the latter part of this message. Soul pain. Every one of us 
get hurt as we go through life. It's inevitable that as you walk through life's journey, there, there will be times that people will hurt you. Sometimes people hurt you without any intention at all. Sometimes they hurt you just because they're hurt, because hurt people hurt people. And sometimes people hurt you because they're just mean and evil people. And that's the world that we live in, a world that is broken, a world that represents a lot of pain. And there are many of us here today, perhaps all of us here today, that at some level we have some pain in our soul. And I want to talk to you about two things that are necessary if your life is going to work. You have to learn how to respond the right way to pain when it comes your way. How do you deal with it? Because I promise you, your life will get very dysfunctional if you don't handle pain the right way. Your life will not work as it needs to work if you don't handle the pains of life properly. And there are two things I want to share with you this weekend uh, that will help you to navigate the pain of life and handle them God's way. First of all, you have to recognize pain points in your soul. Recognize what I'm calling pain points in your soul. Oftentimes when you go to a medical doctor for an exam or maybe because you're not feeling well, the question will come up sometime in the exam, where does it hurt? Where are you hurting? Where is the pain? And sometimes you can immediately say, well, the pain is here. The pain is there. You can easily identify it. Sometimes it's not so easily identifiable because it's kind of a generalized sense of not feeling well. And so often what will happen when you're in those modes is that you'll get up on the examination table and the doctor will start pressing and poking around just a little bit to find out are there any tender spots in your body. A few weeks ago, I had an exam. I was going through some things just uh, medically for a week or so there, and I went to the doctor, and I was complaining about some pain. And the doctor said, hop up on the exam table, and she began to poke around. And everything was great as long as she was on the right side. But when she went to the left side and touched a particular spot, I slapped her hand. Not purposefully, but it was just a reaction because she hit a spot that was really, really sore. I mean, it hurt just for her to barely touch it. She goes to touch it again, and I'm about to slap her before she even comes near me again. Because the pain was right there. I knew exactly where it was. And it identified for her what was going on with my body. It began the process of diagnosis to be able to get the treatment that was necessary. Well, your soul has tender spots. Your soul has places where you've been bruised, you've been hurt. There have been things that have happened in your life that need to be healed. But for, before the healing can take place, there has to be a recognition of what that, where that pain is. And painful things in life come in three forms, three basic forms. And I'll break it down some more as we go through this lesson today. Very sort of important lesson of teaching. I'm going to kind of break it step by step for you. Sometimes your pain is associated with the past, stuff that has happened to you in the past. Sometimes your pain is caused by something going on in the present. There's something happening in your life right now, and you're hurting right now because of what's going on in your life right now. And sometimes your pain is coming from things you're thinking about in the future, you're beginning to project things out ahead and you're actually taking them into your heart, into your mind, and it's beginning to cause problems even though it hasn't happened and sometimes may not even happen, but you are projecting yourself into tomorrow and the days to come. So every soul pain that you experience that you're still carrying with you either is from the past or the present or the future. As I was preparing for this message, I wanted to understand in a fresh way because some of my background is in this area of really understanding 
the psyche, the soul, and how it relates to our spiritual lives. And I wanted to refresh myself in some of these areas. So I did a little bit of research from a psychological standpoint in terms of the kind of things that cause the most soul pain in people. And let me share with you very quickly a list. These are not on your notes, but a list of things that cause soul pain in people. I'll give you the top 13 things that psychologists tell us affect us very adversely, if we don't, especially if we don't handle them the right way. First one is abandonment, when you're just left to yourself. Second one is rejection, betrayal, loss, all kinds of loss. The fifth one, cruel, harsh, or abusive treatment at events. When you live in an abusive environment, a traumatic environment, an abusive environment, it can happen that your soul is damaged. Negative labeling, when somebody lays a label on you, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're never going to make anything out of yourself. These are things that stick with us and create soul pain in us. Humiliation, when you're going through times of being humiliated, especially by someone that is significant or that you respect or want to respect in some way. Neglect is something that causes soul pain. Physical trauma, you had a horrible physical event that happened that you did not handled the right way, you either witnessed it or experienced it. A persistent environment of negativity or of shame. When you grow up in an environment that is negative or shameful, it affects you in your soul. Bullying. Many of us have gone through that in life. Bullies that just, especially in elementary school and high school, the bullying effect that it has on the soul is very damaging. Failures and regrets in life. When you failed in some way, you have this massive regrets, creates soul. The last one I'll mention is living in an atmosphere of, of negativity, anxiety, worry, and fear. If you're raised in an atmosphere where that's the predominant spirit of your home or an environment that you're raised in, it's going to affect your soul. All of these things impact us in some way. And healing from these things involves, first of all, recognition of them. You cannot heal from them until you recognize they are a problem in your life, that you have suffered from this, that you've been affected by this. Now, today, I'm not trying to project pain into you. I'm not trying to make you feel pain. I'm just helping you to be reminded of the pain that might be there that may be affecting your life in a way that you don't even realize. And God comes along because he's the one that is the healer of the brokenhearted. He's the one that cares about the bruises and the pains in our soul. And so he wants at times to bring these things to our attention, not so that we hurt more, but so that we can be healed because there cannot come a diagnosis and a prescription for healing until you acknowledge what the problem is. So how do you recognize, how do you and I recognize pain in the soul, pain in our lives? Let me give you 10 symptoms, 10 ways that you can look at your own life and say, you know what, maybe if some of these things are true for me, it might point to something deeper inside of me. First of all, inappropriate reactions to life events. When small things cause big explosions for you, then generally something's going on on the inside because when a small little thing really ticks you off in a big way, something's happening in you. When you use a shotgun to kill a fly, there is a problem, okay? Destructive habits. Habit patterns in your life that's des that destroy you, self-destructive or hurt your relationships, things that you do repeatedly over and over again. Addictions fall into this category. See, addictions generally are not about the substance, although the substance is a part of it in terms of just how the body chemistry works. But addictions are really psychological first before they're physical because you get addicted to something that relieves some pain inside of you. It's a destructive habit in your life. Thirdly, isolation. 
separating yourself from people. If you just prefer to be alone and do life by yourself and you don't want to connect or open your life to anyone else, that's, there's a problem there. There's something going on. And so that's not, I'm not talking about just standard uh, introversion. Some folks are introverted, but I'm talking about isolating yourself from people. Fourthly, seeking identity and accomplishments, approval, attention from people. If you're your sense of worth and identity is found in what you do and just getting approval. If you're an approval hound, you have to have approval all the time from people or attention from people. It's pointing to a problem. The next one's very much like it, seeking self-worth and possessions or positions. There are a lot of people that cannot feel good about themselves unless they're driving a certain kind of car, living in a certain kind of house, wearing certain kind of clothes. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but there's something very wrong if your identity is caught up in those things. If you have to have those things to feel good about yourself. Then there's the emotional, what I would call emotional roller coaster living. It points to soul pain in your soul. If you are the kind of person that you're either up here or down here, that's where your life is. You live either high or low, or you're always on your way to a high or a low. Your life is never really stable. It's always sort of living like this emotionally. It's pointing to something that needs to be addressed inside of you. Then the seventh one is persistent, damaging procrastination and impetuosity. Procrastination, putting things off. Impetuosity is making rapid decisions without a lot of thought. So if your life is marked by putting things off that you need to be doing or just making quick decisions without really thinking about it, something's probably in, in need of being addressed inside of you. Let me give you three more. Patterns of relationship conflict and brokenness. I'm not talking here about just the standard stuff that all of us go through. We, all of us have relationship challenges at times. But I'm talking about patterns of this, that you have a pattern of broken relationship one after another, after another, after another. You look back over your life and there's just a wake of broken relationships. It usually indicates not just a problem with other people. It also can indicate a challenge and a problem of pain in you. Number nine, painful thinking. If your mind is always going to the negative, if your mind is always going to the painful, it's a pattern that uh, really challenges your life. There's probably something that Jesus wants to work in you. And then number 10, rebellion or significant resistance to positive change. If you're the person that digs your heels in all the time, and you don't cha- you're not easily changeable, that you're not easy to make, uh, to, to flow with positive changes, or if there's a rebellious spirit in you, that's generally a sign of some hurt on the inside that needs to be restored. So the first step in being able to have a life that works, everybody with me so far today? Okay. The first step in having a life that works to handle your hurts, you've got to recognize them in your life. You have to ask, ask God, to God help me to see stuff in me. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Words of Jesus. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Let me stop there and explain what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you know what? You're spending a lot of your time finding the stuff that's wrong with other people. And you're able to point out the problems in other people's lives, but you don't see the stuff going on with your life. Have you noticed that you're a lot better at picking out other people's problems than your own? We all have that tendency. We have the capacity to look and say, well, look at that person. Boy, they've got a problem with this. And boy, they really have a problem with that. And before long, we've identified and labeled about everyone around us and the issues that they have. And we're ignorant of the issues that we have in our own lives. And Jesus is saying, you've got to understand that your issues are bigger than their issues. Wow. 
He says, you're looking at the sawdust, the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. In other words, stop trying to fix everybody else. Work on yourself. And many of the problems we have in life is because we're spending a huge amount of our energy trying to fix, trying to control, trying to handle other people and make them who we want them to be. And I will tell you, first of all, it's very fatiguing to do that. It's very frustrating to do that. And I promise you, you will fail in that process because you can't fix people. People can only be fixed if they want to be fixed. It starts with something on the inside. Actually, when you're trying to fix people around you, oftentimes what will happen is you're getting in the way of God's work in their lives. So the scripture says, Jesus said, don't worry about the plank that you, or the sawdust in your brother's eye. Take a look at the plank in your own eye. Pay attention to what's going on with you. But then he turns the corner in verse number five, you hypocrite. He says that because you're, you're not practicing what you're preaching. You're not doing what you're expecting other people to do. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus says, when you finally deal with the stuff in you, then you will be compassionate enough and capable enough of helping other people around you. Bottom line is find God's healing in your own soul before you try to heal someone else. Amen? Find God's healing in your own soul before you try to heal someone else. A recognition of your soul pain, the points of pain in your soul, is the beginning point of your journey of handling hurts in life. The second thing we'll talk about today, and again, I'll talk about a few more of these next weekend, is you have to accept personal responsibility for your healing. Accept personal responsibility for your healing. I want to make something very clear. You are not responsible for everything that happens to you. Let me say this again. Are you hearing me? You are not responsible for everything that happens to you. There are broken, mean, evil people in our world. Get a little amen on that? Anybody met one of them before? Okay. There are people like this that exist in our world. So you are not responsible for everything that happens to you. There's some things that will happen to you in life that you had no, it just happened. You couldn't, you were not responsible for it happening. A lot of people carry guilt about stuff in life because they feel responsible for something that happened and they're not responsible for what happened to them. But I will promise you and tell you from the instruction of God's word, you are responsible for how you choose to handle or respond to what happens to you. You can't fix what anybody does to you, but you can fix what your response is going to be to them. This is a basic principle of life. And what happens to many, many of us is we get caught up on the side of what they did to me. And I promise you, there are evil people, bad people in the world that will do bad things to people. And all of us have experienced that at times. And so we have to step back for a moment and separate ourselves from those people and accept now the responsibility for what we're going to do in response to it. How am I going to respond in the midst of it? And there are lots of people that you can spend time and energy blaming and spend time and energy mad at and frustrated with, but it will do you no good. Blame and anger and resentment in life does you absolutely no good. In fact, it makes your life more miserable. I've been heard, heard it said like this, when you hold on to anger and resentment and, and grudges inside, it's like like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The poison's in you. 
And I've made a decision in my life. I'm not going to drink the poison. Amen? I'm not going to become the prisoner of things that have happened to me. I'm not going to become the prisoner of people who've hurt me. I'm not going to become their prisoner. Because if I hold on to resentment and bitterness, then they are still controlling me. Right? Because what they did to me is still lingering over my life and controlling me. So they are still in control of my life because I'm holding on to the resentment. And that's a very important lesson for all of us to learn. And we have to make the choice of saying, I refuse to be the prisoner of things and people who have hurt me. I will not become their prisoner in Jesus' name. What I'm going to do is accept the responsibility to handle it the right way. And here's the right way to handle it. Here's your... Your process, some of the process. Again, I am only giving you part of this today. I can't give you the whole prescription today because we don't have time. But here's the beginning process. How do you handle this kind of stuff? Number one, write it down. You have to personally repent of your sinful actions, attitudes, and choices. That's how you accept responsibility. I'll explain this in a moment. I'll give you time to write it down. Personally repent of your sinful actions, your attitudes, and choices. You say, well, pastor, I thought you were talking about things that other people did to me. Well, I am, okay? I got hurt by people. Why do I have to repent? I thought you said I wasn't responsible for what other people... You're not, okay? But I am telling you you're responsible for the attitudes you carry with it. You say, well, I haven't killed anyone. No, but you probably thought about it. When they hit me, I, I didn't hit them back. Yeah, but you wanted to. When they lied about me, I didn't lie back toward them, but maybe you gossiped about them to somebody else. And so the point I'm trying to make is that they're all in all dimensions of life, we have things in us that we have to address and deal with. And sometimes we've been the person that's hurt other people. It's not just who's hurt us, it's how we've hurt somebody else. And so there's this point of repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is a good word. It's getting your life cleaned up. Would you agree with me to have a clean house is better than having a dirty house? Amen? And do you know to have a clean house, you don't just walk in and say, clean! No, there's work that you have to do. And so the work of cleaning house is good work. It's not bad work. The end result is good stuff. And so when you repent, all it is is cleaning up your house. That's all it is. I'm going to clean up my house on the inside from anything that's an attitude that's wrong, something I've done that I shouldn't do or said that I shouldn't say. I'm going to make sure that I'm right with God. I can't get everybody else right with God, but I want to make sure I'm right with God. Amen? So I want my house all cleaned up on the inside. So don't ever think of repentance as that there's some angry God in heaven trying to just bear you down and beat you down and tell you how bad you are. No, all the Lord wants to do when he asks you to accept and acknowledge your sin is to get your house clean. That's all he wants because a clean house is better than a dirty house, all right? The psalmist David talks about this in Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. In other words, it's a blessing to have a clean house, clean heart. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, talking about not, not confessing his sins. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I owned up to my issues. 
I dealt with the stuff that was in my life. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, not somebody else's, but mine. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? Isn't that amazing? He cleans you up on the inside. That's where healing starts. That's where you accept responsibility. Number two, the second step of accepting responsibility is you have to make a choice to freely forgive those you believe are responsible for your pain. This is tough. We've talked about it a number of times over the years here, and I'm sure I'll talk about it a million times more, Lord willing, before I go to heaven. Because this is such a key principle in life that you and I need to be brought back to practically every day. Because almost every day, somebody's going to hurt you. And when somebody hurts you, the natural tendency is to say, I'm going to make them pay for what they did to me. Unconsciously or consciously, the desire is, they hurt me, now they're going to hurt for hurting me. Jesus said, don't live that way. Jesus said, when someone hurts you, your response is, the way you get it out of your system, is by choosing to forgive them. It's like... It's like going to a place that you owe a lot of money to and you rightly owe that money and you show up and you, you go there to, to, to pay your bill and the person says, I'm just going to tear the bill up. I'm just going to let go of it. I forgive you the debt. That's what you do to a person who's hurt. You forgive their debt. You forgive what they owe you. They, don't not, they owe you nothing now, okay? And that is called forgiveness because as long as you hold on to it, it's going to trouble your life. Let's take a look at what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you, if, if you hold anything against anyone. That's big, isn't it? Anything against, you might want to circle those two words. Anything against anyone. Anybody know what the word any means? Last time I checked, it means any. If you hold Anything against anyone, what's the, next, what, what's the instruction? These are Jesus' words. What does he say? Come on, help me out. What does he say? Forgive them. It is a directive. It is an order. It is a command. Your commander-in-chief, Jesus, is telling you what to do in these situations. He's saying, if this happens, when it happens, forgive them. It's a choice. It is not a feeling. I have never felt like forgiving anyone. I really haven't, but I've chosen many, many times to forgive people, and the feelings will eventually come along, but if you wait to feel like forgiving someone before you forgive them, you will probably never forgive anyone, and so it's not a feeling, it's a choice you make, forgive, I choose to tear up the bill, I choose to forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins, so <clears throat> the point is, is that, see, I can describe it here. To be healed on the inside, you need grace, right? God's healing grace is what heals you. The flow of God's grace comes out of relationship with Him. And so I'm going to receive God's grace into my life that will heal the pain in my soul. But if the grace of God comes into my life and it's blocked by unforgiveness towards someone else, I now stop the flow of grace for the release of healing in my life. But when I forgive, then I open up the channels for God's grace to work His healing power in me. So it's that connection with God and forgiving others. Jesus said this, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
Jesus on the cross made the decision to do the very thing he's teaching us to do. The third thing necessary to accept responsibility for your healing, and the last thing I'll talk about today is you have to make appropriate restitution when and where it's needed. I mentioned it a moment ago. I want to bring it back around again for a moment. Not only have you and I been hurt by other people, but we've hurt other people. Anybody want to just shake your head just a little bit and say, I've probably hurt somebody somewhere along my life journey, right? Something I said, something I did, I probably have hurt somebody. And that's something we lose connection with at times. But all of us hurt people unintentionally. Sometimes, sadly, intentionally we hurt, we hurt people. But when you hurt someone and a relationship is broken, it's not just the issue now becomes a responsibility on you to mend the relationship in the ways that you can. And one of the healing acts that help to mend relationships or help heal people that have soul pain in them is when the person who has done the hurting accepts responsibility and makes restitution, okay? If I hurt you in some way and then I accept the responsibility to then make restitution to you, then that act of restitution helps you heal, amen? Right? Helps bring healing in you. Now, is everybody going to do that that hurts you? No, okay? They're not going to, okay? So if you're waiting to be responded to that way, you're going to be really messed up, okay? Because not every, you, it's not, you don't wait for that to get your healing, but it helps in the process when it occurs. So the best form, the highest form, or at least maybe not the highest, but one of the most common or best ways that you can operate in this in a day-to-day life is just restitution is just oftentimes made by an apology, okay? I recognize that I hurt you. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Have you noticed how healing that can be in a relationship when somebody hurts you and they come to you and say, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I really am sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm not talking about some, some kind of the namby-pamby sort of apology. I'm talking about a genuine apology when you realize that somebody's saying, you know what, I really am sorry that I hurt you that way. In that moment, there's healing that can transpire. There's a lot of people that have a hard time saying those words. I can't tell you how many people I've met through the years that never say, I am sorry, please forgive me. I've literally had couples that have been married for decades that they, neither of them have ever, ever said those words to one another. I could tell you story after story of couples, 30, 40, 50 years of marriage, and have never, not one of them have ever said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And I will tell you, their marriage didn't, did not survive because of that. It survived in spite of that, okay? And what I want you to see in life is extremely important that when you hurt someone and you recognize it, that, the very, that you say, I'm going to do what I can to make restitution, reconciliation. And if that involves simply saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong, do it. Take the first step. Here's what the problem is. Most relationships, when there's hurt going back and forth in a relationship, no one wants to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. I'll say it if you say it. You say it first. Now think about that for a moment. I'll say it. If you say it, you say it first. What does that sound like? Preschool. It's not a little kids. But see, that's childishness 
operating in us because our pride gets in the way of us saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, because we're afraid that if I say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that somehow we're going to be disrespected or lowered in the relationship. But I've learned over the years that actually an apology raises respect. It doesn't lower respect. It draws and connects instead of destroys. Let me take you to the story in the Bible. There are lots of ways that people can make amends and restitution. By the way, sometimes it's not possible to make restitution or, or reconciliation with people because of the situation. Sometimes it's not even wise to go back to a person that you've, you've had a problem with because they're not in a place where it's going to be received the right way. And so you have to use wisdom in these things. But let's, let's look at the stories we're wrapping up here today. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Everybody good? All right. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let me stop quickly for a moment. Chief tax collector Zacchaeus was Jewish, but he lived under Roman rule, and so the Romans collected taxes from the Jews, and, and Zacchaeus was Jewish working for the Romans, and the way the system would work was that you would contract with the Romans as a Jewish tax collector for a certain amount of money, and so you had a quota that you met with them. Anything you could collect above that belonged to you, and so Zacchaeus lived this way, collected money for Rome, Whatever was above that was his own. So he had this incentive to get as much money as possible by abusing people. Verse number three, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So not only is he uh, a conniving man, but he's also a short man, likely an insecure man. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here he is. He's heard about Jesus. There's something inside of him that's attracted to Jesus. He climbs up this tree looking on the streets of Jericho where Jesus would be passing by. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm wondering what Zacchaeus thought at that moment. Maybe like busted. He caught me. Or maybe like fantastic. I wanted to talk to him. I don't know what it was in Zacchaeus. I have no idea. But I know that Jesus knew where Zacchaeus was. Isn't it great to know that Jesus always knows where you are? You can be hiding in a tree. He knows right where you are. When Jesus reached that spot, Zacchaeus come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Let's kind of wrap this story up with the principle that I'm talking about. Zacchaeus met Jesus and Zacchaeus had abused a lot of people, hadn't he, Right? He had taken advantage of his brothers and sisters in, 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 in Jerusalem and in, in Israel. But he meets Jesus and he experiences the forgiveness of Jesus. And he realizes that he's hurt other people. And what does Zacchaeus decide that he wants to do? Make restitution. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor because I've, I've taken advantage of them. So I'm going to give half back to the poor. And then I'm going to, I'm going to create a ledger sheet. I'm going to list the names of everybody that I've 
taken specific advantage of, and I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. I will tell you, that was more than one Excel sheet, okay? It was a bunch of sheets that Zacchaeus had to list all these different names in and calculate how much that he owed them, and that's exactly what he did. And he made restitution. Why? Well, certainly it was good for the people. Don't you know that when Zacchaeus went to some of his brothers and sisters and paid them back four times, they would ask the question, the others would ask, why, why are you doing this? And Zacchaeus would say, I met Jesus. And Jesus changed my life. And I know the grace of Jesus. So now that I've learned what grace is, I want you to know what grace is. How many, people, how many folks were led to Jesus through Zacchaeus just making restitution? We don't know. But it was appointed the flow of grace through his life. And so if you and I want to heal, we've got to recognize, first of all, where the soul pain is. Where's Dr. Jesus pressing around inside of you? And he hits that spot and you go, ouch! That's me. That's where I hurt. And then how do you get out of that? How do you come to a place of healing? As we talked about, you accept personal responsibility by repenting of the things you need to repent of. Get your house clean. Let Jesus clean you up on the inside. Forgive the people who have hurt you. Forgive those that have damaged you in some way. Freely forgive and if you have hurt someone and you're aware of a way that you can bring about restitution to them as appropriate and wise, then you make that step. If it's a simple apology, as simple as that, you can bring healing to those around you. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world, if we lived in a church that just said, you know what, we're going to heal one another's soul pain in Jesus' name. Amen? See, we're a part of the healing process. Jesus heals, but he heals through people. And he wants to heal, begin the healing process in you today. Here's what I want you to do. As I was praying yesterday about the message this weekend, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me in my heart that this is going to be a beginning season for some of you to have some pain healed in your soul that you've had for a really long time. I believe you're about to step into some healing miracles in Jesus' name. But I'm not talking about healing physically, although I certainly believe that Jesus can heal you physically. I believe that that's very important. It can happen in your life, and we certainly pray for that to happen if you face a physical problem. But I'm talking about on the inside, that some of you have been damaged in places in your soul. And Jesus says, I want you to have a life that works. And your life will never work fully as long as that's there. And until, until you address that, you're not going to be able to find healing for that. And I want to just, I'm not, I'm done teaching today, okay? So you can put your notes aside, just lay them aside, whatever you'd like to do. Right now, I just want to be your pastor. That's all I want to be right now. I just want to be your pastor and pray for you in a moment. I just, not that I haven't been your pastor the last few moments, but I just want to be your pastor here in this moment in a different way by praying for you. Because I believe that God's going to release today a beginning healing anointing in your life to begin to bring restoration. It's not going to all happen immediately necessarily. It's a process oftentimes, but sometimes you have to have that initial breakthrough for the process to work through. And so we're going to pray for that breakthrough. Here's what I want you to do. This is the Frederick Campus, University at Shady Grove Campus, Gaithersburg, all of us. If you'll just take your hands. If, why don't we, do, first of all, just bow your heads. Everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. This is going to be a private moment. Don't want anyone to feel self-conscious about this <clears throat> at all. Now, I'm not going to even be looking at either. It's really about you and God right now. But if you know, if you've already identified, and maybe you're already aware of the fact that there's some pain in your soul that you need Jesus to heal, 
and you want him to start that process, I want you to take just sort of both of your hands and cup them and place them over your heart right now. That represents your soul. It's the closest we can come to what represents the soul in the Bible over your heart. And this is your step of saying, God, today I want you to do this in me. I'm going to stop thinking about the issues and other people. I'm going to focus on what you want to do in me. Lord, in Jesus' name. All throughout the various worship centers this morning, Gaithersburg, universities at Shady Grove, Frederick. Lord, all of us as your people have gathered today. We thank you that you love us, that you care about us, that you want to bring healing to our souls. And I pray that as we take this very simple step today of placing our hands over our hearts, Lord, as we simply do that, we're acknowledging to you that we need this in our life. Lord, there are broken places in us. And sometimes our life doesn't work very well because we're carrying pain inside. We react in ways that we shouldn't react. We do and say things we shouldn't do because there's stuff inside of us. And Jesus, I am praying today for your people at Church of the Redeemer. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that each one of them would begin to sense and know the love that you have for them, that you're not condemning them, God, but you're there to help them. And I thank you that today is a beginning day for deliverance in their life and healing in their life and restoration in their life. I thank you, Lord, that you're pulling the pain out and getting it removed from them so they can be whole and healthy and strong and have the relationships that you want them to have with you and with one another. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. 
Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.